It's Bigfoot Collectors Club with Bryce and Michael. I know a ghost story or two. Let's do this. <laughs> hey guys, it's a BCC special. The first of what will become a tradition on the other side of our Patreon wall. Mm -hmm. This is your host, Michael McMillan. With me always is your other host. What's up? I'm Bryce Johnson. And producer... Riley Bray. Hey, guys. What's up? Hey, so this is a first BCC... BCC... It's a first BCC... What's the name of our show? You got it. Bigfoot Collectors Club. BCC special. Yeah, this is a sample of the type of bonus programming you're going to get... After we launch our official Patreon page on March 28th. Yeah, write it down in your calendar. It's going down. So listen, our show, our main feed is going to stay the same. You're still going to get your free episodes with all your favorite guests. You're going to get the occasional L-Files episode where we read your mail. But when we launch our Patreon, you're going to get anywhere from, I'd say, two to three four bonus episodes a month. Sure. And some other bonus content on the Patreon page itself that you will not be able to get access to anywhere else. Yeah, and we're they'll vary a little different from the yeah, regular show. And we're going to start off real small, guys. If you want access to the bonus content, it's going to be like five bucks a month. That's a cup of coffee at Starbucks with a little banana. So we're going to make it worth it. And uh, this episode today... We are covering the 75th anniversary of the Battle of L.A. Yeah. Now, do you guys know about this? Yeah. Oh, sure. Vastly familiar. They made a big film about it about 10 years ago, which was a little off the topic of really what it was. But Wasn't that like a, it was called Battle L.A.? Battle L.A., yeah. And it was, a just, it was kind of like a video game. Yeah, it was very much a video game. It was futuristic. Game. Mm-hmm. I never saw it. My dad loves that movie. Oh, does he really? He brings it up all the time. He's like... No, the movie you need to see is Battle L.A. <laughs> and I was like, well, to be fair, it does involve aliens, and it's loosely based on a historic event that yeah. is fascinating. Loosely, to say the least. I mean, yeah, it, loose is right. Yeah. Riley uh, and I, uh, last weekend, so here's the thing. Uh, February 24th was marked the 75th anniversary of the historic Battle of L.A., or otherwise known as the Great Los Angeles Air Raid. And Riley and I had the pleasure of going down to the Fort MacArthur Museum uh, on that night, on Saturday the 24th, and we got to visit a reenactment of the air raid. Yeah, it was the first uh, first BCC field trip. It was, and <laughs> we have a field report at the end of this episode. We're going to play for you uh, audio from, uh, from, from the show or from the reenactment. We also got to chat with um, Tyson Smith, a.k.a. Made in Voyage Clothing Company, uh, which was really awesome uh, to get a moment to pull him aside and talk to him about his work, the patches you've seen uh, on our Instagram feed and on our logo. And uh, he had a really cool T-shirt called The Battle of L.A., which I realize right now I should be wearing. I had that set aside. Dude. I blew it. I'll, po- I'll post a picture of me posing in it real sexy for when this episode <laughs> drops. Yeah, it was great to talk to him there because, you know, I, I think you and I both went into that expecting a lot of uh, other paranormal enthusiasts. Yeah. Who were few and far between. Yeah. Not, not so much, huh? <laughs> it turned out to be a military 
fanboy occasion, not so much a UFO fanboy occasion. Yeah. Which um, one you guys told me about, I mean, I was kind of shocked. I mean, I, when you told me there was a 75th anniversary, I mean, I thought that was going to be all it was about. Yeah. Well, for sure. That's what I was You know, the next yeah. Roswell like convention. That's or something. what we thought too. Yeah. It wasn't. But before we get to that, <laughs> let's talk about the act. What the hell? The actual thing being reenacted. Thing reenacted was. Okay. So. The Battle of L.A. On February 24th, 1943, just three months after Pearl Harbor was attacked by Japan and the U.S. entered World War II, a strange incident occurred over the skies of Los Angeles, California, our hometown. Mm -hmm. In the pre-dawn hours of February 25th, 1943, sirens blared as an unidentified craft was witnessed flying over Santa Monica and Culver City. Searchlights swept the night skies, and the Army and Navy fired thousands of 12-pound artillery shells into the air, causing panic and excitement throughout the city. A small number of Angelinos would not live to see the day. The enemy aircraft was never identified. The Army and Navy had contradictory reports in the days that followed, and the story remains one of the weirdest and wildest mass UFO sightings in American history. That's and, right. And yet... The incident seems to get much less attention than other classic UFO stories like the Roswell crash or the Phoenix Lights. This wasn't just rumor or unidentified lights floating in the sky. This was a full-on anti-aircraft assault taking place in a massive American city. So let's listen now to the radio report of that incident. News of the World, Wednesday, February 25th. Once again, Columbia's correspondents in world capitals and in the fighting zones in the Western Pacific are ready to give you the latest news direct by shortwave radio. And now for news of our own West Coast, we take you to Los Angeles and the report of Byron Palmer. Anti-aircraft guns went into action against unidentified aircraft in the Los Angeles area shortly after 3 a.m. Pacific wartime this morning. The anti-aircraft guns began barking during a blackout ordered by the 4th Interceptor Command at 2.25 a.m. The unidentified object, which some sources thought might be a blimp, moved slowly down the Pacific coast from Santa Monica and disappeared south of Long Beach. Army officials declined to comment on the possibility that the object might have been a blimp. However, it required nearly 30 minutes to travel some 25 miles far slower than an airplane. Watchers on the rooftop of the Columbia Broadcasting Building in the heart of Hollywood could plainly see the flashes of guns and searchlights sweeping the skies in a wide arc along the coastal area. Concussion of the shells could be felt in downtown Los Angeles, 15 miles away. U.S. Army planes quickly took to the dark skies, but whether they contacted the object has not been announced. Army officials say they will not comment until they receive a full report of the action. Although some watchers say they saw airplanes in the air, semi-official sources say they probably were the U.S. Army's pursuit. Several observers say they saw one or more planes spotlighted by 20 or 30 searchlights. The object moved southward, presumably over Huntington Park at the western edge of Los Angeles, and on southward to about Long Beach on the coast. By 3.30 a.m., observers said the object appeared to be over the south of Long Beach. Searchlights closely followed the object down the coast and kept it centered in their glare. Shells frequently could be seen bursting near the object 
but none appeared to hit it. The shooting stopped about 3.30 a.m. The shooting brought warfare to the front door of this city of a million and a quarter population for the first time since December 7th. Already it was alert to the presence off the Southern California coast of a Japanese submarine which had pumped 25 shells into an oil field north of Santa Barbara Monday evening. Because of the presence of the submarine, a three-hour alert was ordered at dusk last night, and civilian authorities stood at their posts while the Army and Navy continued their search for the submersible. The evening alert ended at 10.23 p.m., but another was sounded at 2.22 a.m., and the blackout followed within three minutes. It covered Los Angeles County from Santa Monica to Pomona. At 2.27, all Southern California radio stations were ordered off the air, except those in San Diego. Approximately 20 minutes after the firing died down, the ship returned and headed westward from Long Beach toward Santa Monica. The guns went into action again, hurling round after round of shells at the object. The second barrage appeared to be closer to downtown Los Angeles, since watchers could hear the concussion of the guns more clearly, and the flash of bursting shells was brighter. Then the ship disappeared for the second time over the ocean. We return you now to CBS in New York. Wow. Isn't that insane? <clears throat> that is so insane. That is a mainstream news, uh, mainstream media at the time, CBS radio report, yeah. calling this thing an unidentified flying object, essentially yep. calling it a ship, saying that it looked like a blimp, but they couldn't get confirmation that it was a blimp or not. Moving down the coast. And saying that shells were exploding around the craft, but not making contact with it. Now, yep. to Amazing. me, that sounds a fuck lot like a force field. Yeah, no yeah. doubt about it. And uh, and, and they uh, sent up fighter planes, too. A lot of witnesses said they saw, you know... Well, this is really interesting, and uh, we might get back into this, but um, supposedly the military said that they did not scramble any planes that night. Right. And what's interesting, though, that people witnessed other crafts flying through the sky. So some people think that it might have been a Part mothership of, yeah. and then other smaller UFOs flying around. And that what we thought were planes, our planes were actually other tiny UFOs flying around. I oh. think it might have been both. You know, yeah. Secretary of War Henry Stimson said the air raid alert was caused by the presence of some 15 aircraft whose origins remain a mystery. He suggested the Japanese may have used commercial airplanes in an effort to create panic and were psychological warfare on the country. Simpson later backpedaled his claims, but there were many civilians and even military personnel who did see fighters in the sky that night. Yeah, and we had just recently been attacked, Santa Barbara, two days before by a Japanese submarine right. off the coast. It, you can hear it in the report they shelled like a fuel station or yeah, something. Yeah, I guess there was little damage, but still everybody was on high alert right yep. after that. yep. And the Navy released a statement the next day saying that the military had been firing at nothing. Yeah. That this whole display was a case of the jitters amped <laughs> up by that uh, previous Japanese attack. I find that harder to believe than a UFO, it's just honestly. a bunch of jitters. Yeah. I mean, We were well, nervous, so we shot 12,000 times. Well, and it's, I think it is one of the first times that... Um, we actually had to after Pearl Harbor because this is you have to remember it was just three months after Pearl Harbor mm -hmm. that like anyone on the U.S. mainland actually scrambled to prevent an, an airborne attack. And but here's the thing: no bombs were dropped by whatever this thing was. Yeah, 
Um, but they said that you know a lot of it could have been jitters because everyone was just like, "Holy shit, well, we're having another Pearl Harbor here in Los Angeles," and people overreacted. Well, there was a consequence to shooting in the sky too, because not only that, the military brought nothing down from the sky, but shrapnel fell mm-hmm. in the city, damaging hundreds of buildings and cars. Not only that, they reported. Three deaths from car crashes right yeah. after the blackout. And two deaths of heart, attack. heart attacks. So yeah. five people actually died that night as a result. Yeah. So this is something that, uh, you know, you, you can't really take lightly from just firing off a couple rounds into the sky. You yeah. Know? So listen, after the war, uh, the Army released a contradictory statement to the Navy saying that it had been one of our weather balloons. Other theories claim that the Japanese had sent a battle balloon over Los Angeles. However, no bombs, like I said, were dropped. And whatever we fired at did not fire back. Now, there's an iconic photo published on the cover of the L.A. Times the day after the incident. We posted it a couple weeks ago on our Instagram feed, mm-hmm. when uh, actually on this uh, anniversary. Yeah. Uh, so if you go back and check around February 24th, 25th, you'll see it. Um. The photo, and we'll put it up again, too, but the photo depicts spotlights aimed at what clearly looks like a classic flying saucer shape, but the photos were retouched, as was always the custom at the time. It was printing. a common practice. Yeah, That's because right. the printing process back then wasn't as uh, crystal clear as we have now. So but uh, so in the retouched right. photo, the disc-shaped craft is much... Um, or. In, in in the one that wasn't retouched, the disc shaped craft is much less present, like in the original negative. I ha- do you have that photo right there? No. Well, it says it says the negative was underexposed, a problem that's typical of photos taken at night. And to make the image more suitable for print, the Times Photo Department copied and retouched the negative, which was a common and accepted practice. The print from the original negative was published in the paper's first edition, but subsequent editions featured the heavily enhanced version of the photo with improved contrast. Um, but you, it, just looking at the photo, it's like if you imagine like if a big mothership had a UFO force field, what would happen if you're sending up artillery shells? They're going to explode at the force field, which is exactly what this picture uh, looks like to me. Yeah. And, and before you go like, well, that explains that the photos retouched to look like a flying saucer. Just consider this. The term flying saucer, while it was in existence in 19, but since 1930, was not a wildly popular term in 1943. That actually didn't really take hold in the public consciousness until after American aviator Kenneth Arnold's wildly reported UFO sighting uh, hit the press on June 24th, 1947. Yeah, that's right. A witness, uh, Scott Littleton, described it as a a lozenge, a long oval, and it was caught in the searchlight beams. So my question is, why would the photo processing department, or whatever you call it at the LA Times, retouch the image to look like something that wasn't yet a pop culture reference or icon so maybe they were just highlighting what was already in the photo yeah which well, also, was it a sounds, flying saucer it sounds like they weren't like airbrushing or adding anything they were just increasing the exposure well i think they contrast. did paint i did i do think they take white paint and to 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 highlight the uh the searchlight beams in it and paint the whiter parts of it but but if you look at the original negative and then the one that was published everything that is white or supposed to be those light beams mm-hmm. It's all consistent. They didn't add anything. Well, and let's to put it, it. into context with the thousands of hundreds it's just of thousands. Early Photoshop of... to bring the contrast out. That's right. what they were yeah. doing. Well, sure. Basically. And, and you know, you put it into context with the hundreds of thousands of witnesses who reported what they saw, and uh, you know, uh, so you, you put the whole story together, and yeah, it's a photo of what was happening. 
Um, but when you, you line it up with what these people were saying they saw, and also the military's own account of, uh, of what they were, their actions, I mean, it, it's, a horror, it's a crazy story. Well, and yeah. we have, like, it's so weird, too, because here we go. It's like weather balloons. How many again. times have we heard weather balloons? And this Swamp is pre-Roswell. Yeah. It's so yeah. stupid. It's, it's just like, it's not stupid. I get that, you know, it's just like the military. It's it's also funny that the like the navy and the army completely contradict themselves. Mm-hmm. You know that one one says we're shooting at nothing, the other said it was some type of balloon or right. blimp. Um, I found a Los Angeles uh, Times article from February twenty fourth, nineteen ninety two. And I read that the L.A. County Sheriff helped the government arrest Japanese-American citizens thought to have been signaling the craft that night, something which he was later ashamed of once he learned that the military's official take on this incident was that it was much to do about nothing. You know, widespread stories of false Japanese attacks certainly did not help the plight of the Japanese-American citizens who were rounded up into U.S. internment camps during the war. So those are other casualties of this, too. Um, And Japan... um, after World War II, said that they were not flying any, they didn't fly anything out yeah. over the states during that time. What's crazy to me is, I mean, you know, you put this up against the story of of the something like the Phoenix Lights. If you're not familiar, it was like a, a giant craft, somewhat similar to this, flying over the city Big of Phoenix. Craft. Yeah, yeah. O- yeah. Only the thing is, is you know, the American government didn't panic and send up start fire jets shooting and start at shooting yeah. at it. You know, would you understand why they would? I mean, I would hope. Pearl High Harm, tension. Part, yeah. It just happened. We were at war. They they responded exactly how they needed to. Mm-hmm. Um, and if it was a case of the jitters, then they royally fucked up. Yeah. And I mean, it, on that note, though, it's like in a it, they're at wartime. Like twelve thousand shells of anti uh, aircraft artillery. Like that's very valuable stuff. They're not is. just going to flippantly fire that yeah, off. At yeah, nothing. that's right. No, no, like, no. And that's the other thing is they were like they, they were embarrassed because it was such a waste of artillery. Right. Ultimately. Unless there was a freaking mothership flying over, yeah. and you know, yeah. I, I get, I get it, but um, and the I fact don't know. that it reappears too in that news report hearing exactly. that it shows up again, it shows at up again, and then yeah. heads back out over the ocean, which is out near Catalina, yeah, which is you know, and out near the part of the Pacific down here in so- SoCal where. There, we people have seen a lot of USOs submerge and come out of the water. Um, so the, you know, there's theories that there's like some sort of underwater uh, USO is the unidentified submerged mm-hmm. object. So a UFO becomes a USO once it goes underwater, and they think that there are some hidden bases down there where these uh, whatever these craft are hanging out. Well, in this, you know, a, a lot of these, a lot of the great UFO cases. Um, seem to always take place around military bases or uh, sometimes, you know, having to do with uh, heightened conflicts of war. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't know. I mean, you know, we did drop the atomic bomb on Japan um, a little bit later. I'm not, you know, trying to connect dots here, but I, when you put it all together, it's just, it's very strange. Well, you know? think about it this way. If, let's say, and we've theorized about this before, let's say that whatever this higher intelligence is whether it's a an alien race or an interdimensional race or some ancient race that has been here or us from the future come back in time to mm-hmm. study civilization they're going to be very interested in how the human species is waging war yeah that's right mm-hmm. you know what i mean that would it would be like it, you know we've we've had um zoologists and anthropologists um anthropo 
Anthropologists. <laughs> Anthropologists. Jeez. They've, you know, there's like that great stuff like uh, when you read about like the chimpanzee tribes that wage war. Like this is yeah. something, this is part of studying an animal species. Human beings are animals. Yeah. You're going to be like, all right, let's see how these guys fight. Also, if you're paying attention to a civilization that might one day make that intergalactic step, you are studying a potential enemy or threat. You know, yeah. okay, if these are warring uh, people, let's uh, let's study and see what they do. Well, and, let, see. and let's not forget too, there was no return fire. I mean, there was you know no shots fired from whatever craft this was, or no sort of uh, munitions laid from them either. Yeah. So they were just yeah. kind of like floating above with their force field, saying. All right, let's see what these guys do, you know? Well, and that that was the thing they thought that possibly the um that the Japanese had sent some type of decoy balloon over LA <laughs> to sort of see where our anti um aircraft artillery stations were, you know, they were they were yeah. they were sending a test to see what we had. Sure. It's a plausible theory. It's a, I mean, it is. Very plausible. Look, a submarine except made for the it whole force field part. Well, yeah. except for the part that <laughs> yeah. like except right. for the part that we didn't shoot the fucking thing down. Yeah. Like, Pounding it with all of this heavy art. Like, I'm sorry. You can shoot. Someone would have shot that demon. Well, and if the military was going to back up that foe, they do like the Jesse Marcel and make him pose with some weather balloon material. Oh, this is the material that came down. And they learned from their mistakes. (laughs) Yeah. Roswell were showing like, oh, we need to have some sort of thing to back this up. Yeah. It's crazy. I love how these news stories get ahead of the official government. Exactly, reaction, same you know? thing happened at Roswell. They got the official story the first time, mm-hmm. and then they couldn't take it back, so they started the cover up. Yeah, and we have all the telltale signs of a classic cover up with this, and it's just one of those cool things. You listen to that original radio report, and it's all right there. I know. The more you look at this account, there's like so much here. I mean, I mean, this is a, about as big as the Phoenix Phoenix Lights and and something as Roswell, but it seems to have lost its place in in the mythos and the history of UFO lore and uh, well, like and as, also, well, as you guys talked about, you went there on the 75th anniversary, and they just they just blew right over the fact of what this thing possibly could have right. been. You and know? you think about it, this happened at the beginning of the war, so it's overshadowed by everything else sure. that's to come. Well, of course. So it's very, you know, it's three months after Pearl Harbor, which was still a big deal. I mean, that was obviously, that was the 9-11 yeah, event. no yeah. doubt. And then you have uh, the rest of the war that follows. It's very easy to forget about... This one thing that happened in an age before there was internet and massive TV and Mm -hmm. 24, you know, and and during a time when the American people trusted the government and trusted the military when they said it was nothing. Absolutely. And then they just move on. Yeah, they had to. I mean, the war that was going on was just so Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like, they're, they're not focusing on the, like... (laughs) <laughs> Look at what happened recently. Like we're we're living in tumultuous political times right now, and the Pentagon came out in December with a story saying that they have been studying and tracking uh, unidentified, probably alien craft for decades yeah. now, yeah. and no one stopped to pay attention to it because we're living in a cycle where whatever Trump says and does takes over the news. I know. I couldn't believe That's how quickly that story That's the biggest story forever, and no one is talking about it. I know. It, yeah. It's amazing. And if you go listen to, guys, after you're done listening to this, go look for, go look for the um, New York Times Daily Podcast from December 18th, 
um, of 2017. Listen to that podcast. It's it incredible. is insane, the stuff that they talk about. If you were into UFOs, if you're any on any side of the conspiracy theory on UFOs, listen to this. It's insanity. And it's the New York and, Times. It's not like some fringe yeah. organization. Well, and they describe and, and these are all military guys. These are all yeah. former Pentagon guys. This is these are senators and, and, yeah, and the, funded by Senator Harry Reid. Yeah. yeah. Bas- basically because he um had spoken to other senators across the aisle, by the way. This was a bipartisan um effort who had flown in the Korean War, World War II, had flown, you know, these guys had, uh, some of these senators had served and seen these objects when they flew planes. They're like, I would absolutely fund uh, a, a black <laughs> black well, book operation to study these things. My favorite thing that came out of that was the, was the, radio communications between the jet the young jet fighter pilots watching and observing this thing no going, shit what the fuck is this man yeah. we're following it uh, it's moving it literally it's changing. sounds like us yeah no. <laughs> what the fuck is that i know it's true you know here's another here's another witness uh of the battle of los angeles bill tompkins who was 17 years old at the time said he saw a very large round vehicle at about seven to 8,000 feet. It just moved in and stopped right above us. Mm. He claimed to have seen the artillery shells explode against the bottom of the craft, causing no apparent damage. And he said the saucer wasn't alone. There were other vehicles smaller that were coming and moving around it and moving above it. And the, the, How many well, times have we seen... Those could be the, uh, the planes that people thought they saw. Or part of the mothers. How many times have we seen UFO videos? Well, I have, but yeah. of, uh, <laughs> of these strange UFO crafts were little orbs or, or coming plopping in, out of plopping them. in, plopping out. It looks like a hen laying eggs. Yeah, it's, it's just true. Like, bloop, bloop. I just watched one of those this weekend. It was freaking me out. So strange. I know. Man. Incredible. Yeah. I just love the way they also... Los Angeles. Los totally. Ang- I know. Down okay. here in Los Angeles. We got to bring that back. <laughs> I know. We got to bring that back. The old-timey continental. We're American accent. <laughs> that was great, though. But what a what a, what a fascinating yeah, case. Yeah, they said uh, the other thing about the lozenge. I think the lozenge shape is actually brought up in that uh, New York Times report. They said they see... A lozenge shaped craft, and then they have one they call the Tic Tac because mm-hmm. it's a yeah, white right. glowing craft that looks like a Tic Tac. Yeah, same as those cigar shaped things. Yeah, and, and I think yeah. the one in uh, over the Great Air Raid was uh, glowing orange. They mm-hmm. said it was an orange craft. Oh, that's wild. Which is really cool, guys. Anyway, that's the Battle of LA. Um, yeah, yeah so, 75 years ago. So, Riley, why don't you talk about what we did? So fast forward to today. Yeah, so... <laughs> we went th- we went down there with a little field recorder. And, and this was uh, called... I believe it was called the uh, Great Air Raid Reenactment. The Great mm-hmm. Air, Los Angeles Air Raid. That was the that was the uh, moniker that they used. It's sure. Fort MacArthur, which is down in San Pedro. And actually, Tyson from Maiden Voyage, graciously, and, and, and we appreciate the heads up, had contacted me because he was selling his shirts there. I wanted to grab one of those. He's like, you guys should come down and check this out because it's pretty well, cool. Well, unfortunately, I wasn't able to attend due to my, you know, broken foot. But uh, you know, you guys took some video. It looked like a lovely organized event. It, I mean, uh, oh, it, it really was, was. It was yeah. great, and it was all to benefit Fort MacArthur Museum. Yeah, and uh, and they had all the, you know, all the sort of like tanks and and trucks and artillery guns all all you know 
correct to period and a yeah. bunch of people in full period costume and they had a a military swing band playing. I loved that. Yeah, that oh, was Oh, it was cool. It was like it was looking cool. at live action like old school GI Joe. But you just felt like they were missing the point of what well, they were doing. Well, there, no you know? one was interested. <laughs> right. Well, we ca- yeah, we came down there and I was expecting like where's all the merch? Where's right. all this flying saucer stuff? Right. And they ended the night with this really fun um uh, uh aerial display i mean they were shooting fireworks and they were firing off shells from these giant anti-aircraft you know cannons that they had there and um and i was really hoping they were going to have like an illuminated like ufo fly over or something (laughs) that would be great you would walk around and we're going to play the audio for you after this but you would walk around and you know we kind of quickly realized like talking about ufos here and it felt to me as as well as well uh produced as it was and it was really cool i mean we took some great photos and we'll put all that up on instagram as well and put some stuff up on the patreon page um it felt like it was a celebration of the military cover-up story because Mm -hmm. you'd walk around and be like so uh do you guys know about the ufo and they're like what or some people be like uh, there's no UFO. I don't it, want to talk about that. It, they sure. literally would be like, because we, yeah. we were trying to get interviews with people, and they were like, yeah, um, yeah. No, they were like, <laughs> well, no, there's a, if anything, it was a blimp. Well, if anything, know, it was a Japanese y- balloon. And you're like, oh, wow, I just remembered that there's a whole other world where UFOs do not exist in people's imagination. Yeah. The military, people associated with the military, even military reenactors, don't want to go there mm-hmm. and i understand that but it was just kind of like it was kind of like falling into somebody else's party yeah. and realizing like oh we crashed this party <laughs> yeah <laughs> totally i mean it makes you wonder too i mean you know the military collects files on these cases and there must be some you would like to think or hope that there's some black vault case file about this of, of really more of the evidence and data of what really might have taken oh, place I'm sure there is and yeah. uh, i bet that's a treasure trove who knows yeah you know that vibe though it, it almost kind of put me more into it because I was like, I was like, oh, we're like these like fringe paranormal investigators. Yeah, we, what we haven't mentioned yet is that Riley was dressed in full period, like awesome. man in black style. He looks. I went all out, you know. Yeah, which was great because I was just I sort of dressed to just blend in, like but Bobby not, teenager. Yeah, I was like Bobby teenager. But uh, yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, you you're right. You're like, all right, cool. Now you know what. Game on. Let's go see if we can find. But we spoke to a few people, um, but nobody other than Tyson, who was open-minded about the UFO. Yeah. Uh, but we did get some good interviews. Element. We spoke to some, in, some interesting characters. And we for did. Sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It was great people watching. And you know what? Uh, we met and talked to a bunch of nice folks down there. So um, I do want to thank Tyson for inviting us down there. And I want to you know, give a shout out to f- the Fort MacArthur Museum in San Pedro. You should definitely Absolutely. go check it out yeah. on its own. It's a beautiful, beautiful place, Beautiful setting. Oh, yeah. my God. It's right on this beautiful bluff that overlooks the, the uh, harbor. Well, it's gorgeous. What I love about it, too, is I think it set the tone for like what you were saying earlier, Riley, is like, hey, you know, at the Bigfoot Podcast Collectors Club, we might be taking a field trip or two. You know what I mean? And really making some interesting shows for you guys to listen to. Exactly. So this was our test run. We learned some lessons. We realized we should make sure that there is a little bit more of a paranormal element (laughs) before we go down there. But you know what? I tell you what, Fort MacArthur cosplayers 
you got your own weirdness going on, and <laughs> you're welcome in our part our podcast as well. We appreciate it. That's Absolutely, right. clubhouse door is open. <laughs> Anybody who dresses up in full period costume and to go to a party, we're down. See, that's the thing. Is I I expected more people to be open to talking to us because it's like, well, you put on a costume, <laughs> you're here, you're having fun. Why don't you talk to us? We had a lot of people be like, I'm not going to talk to you. It's almost like they were just in character. Like, I know it was like almost like we had military, tried to yeah. talk to like military people from 19. 19- 1942 and they were like get out of here kid. you know yeah. bobcat uh goldthwaite who uh, directed me in willow creek he he made a, his few rounds um promoting the movie and and uh he said he went to a bigfoot convention and he likened to when somebody would you know the bigfooters when they'd start talking one bigfooter would stand up and well what's the relationship to ufos everybody else would go oh shit here we go this guy bringing up UFOs with Bigfoot. It's like, you know, you can't like cross mingle the fields. You know what I mean? It's like pe- yep. yeah. people want to compartmentalize. That's when, and, and they yeah. want to stick by their story. Of, mm-hmm. Well, that's you know. it took us a minute and we were like, oh, this is a military <laughs> reenactors party. These guys do the Civil War. They do the, you know, they've done like well, a guy there that we spoke to had done like the French Legionnaire stuff. So you're like, okay, that's. That's what this is about. They're not interested in the paranormal mm, stuff. Right. We were kind of the outliers, which again yeah. was fun because we did kind of yeah. seem like the creepy <laughs> MIBs yeah. coming in. But we okay, got some sideways glances walking around <laughs> with those. And I'm like, you guys are dressed up. Come on, you are sitting on an old tank. <laughs> but like, let's have some fun. That radio report. That, I mean, I had never heard that before. That was the first time I've heard that. That was that was eerie. That's very or- Orson Wellian. Yeah, um, I heard his, that on uh, Coast to Coast. Like. 10 years ago mm. probably and that's the first time i had heard about it and i just remember playing that going oh my god come on it's all there in the story in yeah. the reporting well we live in this material materialist world where we're so fast to just uh just chalk that up to uh, oh well, that doesn't fit in my world paradigm i'm moving on to uh you know, desert foliage you know mm-hmm. and it's like you know we're just pretty quick and to, it makes uh, you think too it. about how many wild stories whether it's they're about ufos or anything else that are lost and swallowed up during times of war mm-hmm. when you know everyone's focus is on a more important well that's thing. that's really when ufo cases started to pick up was during world war ii they called them foo fighters and a lot of these jet fighters started reporting these odd orb-shaped glowing objects uh fighting along not fighting along but flying alongside their uh their sortie missions and and not to mention the whole gremlin stuff too yeah. started where a lot of people th- say that oh that's just uh, a nickname for stuff uh, falling apart in these airplanes mm-hmm. but some pilots saw some like weird little creatures sometimes too yeah. we I I mean from what I remember so maybe we'll have to look into that but here's what we're gonna do we're gonna play for you our field report from the seventy uh, fifth anniversary of the uh, great air raid of Los Angeles. And then when we come back, Bryce has brought a collector's item in today that he's going to read a little story from. This is really cool. Sure. Uh, a, about a pop rock legend yeah. who had a UFO encounter. And then we're going to say goodbye. But uh, here we go. Let's uh, go out to the field with Riley and Michael. The cowardly sneak attack on December 7th at Pearl Harbor. Congress and President Roosevelt have declared a state of war. As a result, strict security measures are in effect. To you war workers or relatives of servicemen, do not discuss production schedules, troop movements, or types of training. We know the enemy is listening. This is a military installation. You will conduct yourselves in 
at the gates of Fort MacArthur with uh, this gentleman. Uh, tell me your name, please. My name is Radford Polinski, and I am portraying a sergeant of D Battery, 3rd U.S. Coast Artillery, here in February of 1942. I love it. And uh, what happened tonight on February 24th, 1942? On February of 1942, there was an air raid, and you can hear the air quotes, because there was, in fact, no enemy aircraft in the air, but somebody started shooting, and then everybody started shooting, and there were searchlights and gunfire going up into the sky of Los Angeles, and it was a complete panic over nothing. In fact, there were some casualties, I understand, some people who crashed their cars, some rubberneckers. Well, also, when the bullets go up, they've got to come down somewhere. Oh I wouldn't be surprised if there were some injuries from rounds that went up into the air and shrapnel from exploding shells of anti-aircraft fire that was shooting at nothing. Wow. Now, there is a theory that there was something up there in the night sky that night. Something that may have not been from this world. Now, where do you stand on that story? I have no opinion whatsoever <laughs> on whether anything uh, extraterrestrial okay. may have appeared in the skies over Los Angeles in February of 1942. An errant weather balloon, an errant toy balloon, mm -hmm. an errant pilot who just didn't have his, his lights on. It could be any no one of those things. Okay. I couldn't say. You sound like an actual official from the military discussing this. So you're very good in your in your role. Thank you. And what do you do? What's your role here is the at the gate? Yeah, I see a microphone in front of you, not the one that you're holding. You can describe me as a greeter. I set the stage for the audience. I describe where the people are. They've come to Fort MacArthur in San Pedro, and I give them a speech which sets the tone of the event. It's just after Pearl Harbor, and the situation is very serious. Mm -hmm. And don't talk. The enemy might be listening. Oh, yeah. But be sure to have a good time. Now, I see a lot of, uh, let's see, artillery stationed around the area that we're standing in. There's some spotlights pointing towards the sky. So it seems like we're prepared for anything. There are searchlights all over the place. And one of the fun things about, one of the most keenly interesting displays here are the fact that they have restored the searchlights to their full 1940s function, Ooh. including having remote aiming platforms so that you can actually aim the searchlight remotely from a fourth station to the side so you can sight the aircraft through sights on your remote platform oh, no way. and aim the searchlight itself. Now I said spotlight and that's incorrect. It is a searchlight. We like to think of them as searchlights because a spotlight is more of a theatrical. Well that's system. where I that's my background. Okay. I came up through the theater so <laughs> when I see a bright light I just assume it's for me. Well, this is fantastic. Now, how many years have you been uh, celebrating this anniversary? Well, in one way or another, I have been coming to Fort MacArthur for various celebrations, if you can call witnessing the recurrence of December 7th and the attack on Pearl right. Harbor as a celebration. But okay. I've been coming to Fort MacArthur one way or another for getting on 30 years now. Oh, wow. That's, that's fantastic. I would imagine the uh, Pearl Harbor... Uh, commemoration is a little bit more sober than this one. This one seems to be a bit fun. I mean, this seems like fun. People are out here having a good time tonight. On every so often, the calendar winds around so that December 7th is actually a Sunday. And mm -hmm. you come down here and you do chores and maintenance around the fort, and they turn on the radio, and you hear that Pearl Harbor is being attacked. Wow. And it can be a sobering and eerie experience to be on a Sunday, December 7th, doing chores in a fort 
and hearing your world come crashing into war. Much like I would imagine many of the young men felt and experienced on that day at this very fort. That's one of the reasons we do what we do here. We're not only commemorating and honoring history, but for our own sake, we're trying to feel a little bit of what they felt and better understand what they were going through. That's very cool. Well, thank you so much. We really appreciate speaking to you. Have a great night. You're a professional on the mic. We heard your work earlier, and we really honestly uh, appreciate you speaking with us tonight. Have a good night. Good night. Okay, well, here we are at the 75th anniversary of the air raid over Los Angeles, and I am standing here next to the, a model of the USS Pennsylvania, talking to Tyson Smith from Maiden Voyage Clothing Company. You know uh, his work from the image that we've so <laughs> blatantly borrowed That's for, right. for That's the cover right. of our podcast. With, with your blessing, Tyson, we thank you. You know, we love your products on the show. We talk about your patches, your shirts a lot. We've handed them out as gifts, gifts on the show for our Christmas special. Oh, well, thank you for doing so. Um, but anyway, Tyson, I wanted to grab you, pull you aside, and uh, talk about this event and talk about your work a little bit. So uh, describe what is going on tonight. Well, as you said, it's the 75th anniversary of the air raid over Los Angeles or the Battle of Los Angeles, which is probably the more uh, better known name. Um, we're here actually doing the official release of our new design, which shares the same name, the Battle of Los Angeles. Um, and so that's what we're doing tonight. We always wanted to tie that into the event and kind of make a, make a big to-do for it. And the image, uh, we'll put it up on our Instagram, but it, it's, it's, it's got a big honking flying saucer on it. Well, I mean, if that's what you want to see. See, this is the controversy surrounding the Battle of L.A. Correct, yes. Now, when you look at the photo... Mm-hmm. The old cover of the, I believe it's the L.A. Times. Correct, yes. And the spotlights are pointed at something. What do you see? Oh, man. Well, there's so many options, I guess. Um, Are there? Because I think there's only one, and that is a flying saucer. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, For me, personally, I, I enjoy that lore the most. Right. Um, there are other tidbits that surround the story that help me believe that option. Let's talk about it. What are the tidbits? Uh, the tidbits are that um, after the battle was over, uh, there was some finger pointing. The army said, yeah, there was something that we were firing at. The Navy said, no, there wasn't. Um, and then a few days later, the Navy launched an investigation. They did. Um, they went out beyond the island that's out here. Um, they launched a dive. They actually hired some um, uh, civilian divers uh, to help them go and search for this thing, whatever it was that they thought may have crashed in the ocean. Oh, so they thought they shot something down. Possibly. I don't know what the, I don't know what they thought, okay. but but this is this is a story that's passed down from an old timer to another old timer that that old timer published on the internet <laughs> in, in the obscure basement of the internet that I ran across one day Got it. and just spent like a week reading all this. I've been spending a little time in that same basement oh, over the amazing. past few yeah. months. Yeah. Um, so, so they, they, did they find anything? 
I don't know if they found anything. And I think if they found something, they're not going to tell us. Right. Um, this is a recurring theme yeah, on the show. Absolutely. Um, so whatever it was, if they, if they found something or didn't, I don't know. But they did uh, basically tell the, uh, the hired hands, the, the hired divers, the deep divers, okay, we're done. You guys need to leave. And they continued their search with just the, the, uh, the actual military personnel, the naval personnel. Um, that's, that's one tidbit that I, I enjoy it. about this story. Um, there's another tidbit that is a little further beyond that. Uh, I think within another six days or so of this, uh, the anniversary of this event, um, the 24th, so uh, I guess early March or thereabouts, there's another report of a, I think it's, and I, I'm, I've only read this a couple times, but I think it was a merchant vessel that reported seeing a very, very similar size, very similar um, uh, description uh, oh, out over the ocean. In the Pacific, on on the other side, way mm-hmm, on the other mm-hmm, side. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, if I remember right, the report, this thing kind of circled the ship for a good while. I don't know how long it was, 45 minutes to f- four hours, somewhere in there. Um, but the description kind of fit that, so it was almost as if whatever it was may have just said, okay, we're going out beyond and we're just going to keep on going, and this guy happened to see it. Um and then I heard someone else recently talking about um, they thought there might have been two vehicles or two two, right. two whatevers. Ships. Two, two things, whatevers. Two, two wing diggies. Yeah. Uh, Whatever it was, came in off the ocean, basically went down uh, across Santa Monica, uh, thereabouts. This is the part I know. Right. Uh, came down, went out towards Long Beach, disappeared over the ocean. Uh, we stopped firing at it, and then it came back over land, back through Long Beach, up through wherever and then went back out towards the ocean again so it went over a couple of times there's a couple of different areas that it says or people say that it covered um and again on in that same basement that you and i enjoy so much uh there were some other little uh descriptions of of things that that i really enjoy where people that had volunteered to be um air wardens and watch the sky and that sort of thing they have these very detailed descriptions of seeing this thing fly over uh be it uh this this orange glow this Mm -hmm. massive orange glowing object or whatever to the point where they say it was beautiful it was amazing um there's another description of it saying that it looked like a shovel like the head of a shovel oh wow uh sort of that's a new one well that one and i i apologize for not knowing the person's name but the art director for the original War of the Worlds. Oh, cool. Was a child when this event happened, witnessed whatever that was that flew over, and used that for his inspiration to design the ships. For the, the Martian War- ships with the like, antenna sort of Absolutely. lasers on top? Yes. That's very and interesting. And that's where that sort of shovel shape oh. uh, was inspired. We'll look this up. I'll, yeah. I'll make sure I have the guys. Yeah, name. and there's a, there's a couple people that have reported that same shovel sort of, uh, I guess you could say, sloped shape to it. Are they going to fly a flying saucer? Are, do they embrace, when do I get to see a UFO? That's what I'm here for. I, I That would be worth the price of admission. Yep. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about uh, your work. You've obviously, you are a big cryptozoologist fan, or zoology fan. Mm-hmm. Are you the fan of cryptozoologists as well, like Lauren Coleman, perhaps? Um, well, Linda we, S. Godfrey? We sell through uh, his museum. Do you really? In, yeah, in, oh, Port- great. in Portland, Maine. Uh, he's a very nice guy. Um, and so we do a lot of work with him. 
you know, just in, in the cryptozoology. Okay. And mainly with our patches. Right. Uh, but in that realm, we do. Because you've got a Nessie patch. You've got Flatwoods Monster mm-hmm. patch. You've got Jersey Devil. Chupacabra. Chupacabra. Uh, Mothman. Mothman. Yep. Uh, Sasquatch. And I'm just thinking of the rectangular ones. Right, yeah. And then you also have some other little other fun patches featuring yeah. these characters. Yeah. How did you get into the paranormal, into the strange... Why is this what you wanted to focus on as an artist? Uh, well, growing up in the 80s, it's sort of hard not to. I mean, you could have, you could be making Thundercats patches right now. I could be making Thundercats patches, but I, I personally don't enjoy uh, perpetuating someone else's brand or someone else's uh, intellectual property. Um, personally, I feel like I'm smarter than that, and I would prefer to either come up with my own ideas or... Yeah. Um, I guess, uh, honor things that already exist or may exist. Uh, so I guess for me, uh, truth is stranger than fiction. I love it. That's great. Awesome. Um, is there, do you have any, uh, paranormal experience of your own? Uh, I have a few. I don't think they're really that great. Uh, probably, probably the best one. You'd be surprised. Probably the best one. I will take any story okay, I this, can get. I've actually shared this with a with a magazine that was that was asking for something similar, but um, it's it's kind of a sad story. But basically, oh no, uh, is there a dead yeti involved in this? No, okay, no, good. no. Um, so I grew up in Tennessee, and when my sister uh, was purchasing a house, uh, it was not disclosed to her that there was a murder that had taken place in the home. And, Tennessee, got to change those laws. Yep. Uh, which I think was illegal at the time, but it was a small town, and they were able to get around that. Because um, nobody asked. Pretty, right. pretty much. Yeah. Oh, hey, by the way, I love what you did with the place. Has anybody died in here or been that, killed? That is a good tip when buying a house. Always ask that, yeah. BCC real estate tip number one. Mm-hmm. Ask if anyone's been murdered there. They should just list that when you go to buy a house. No murders. Murder, yes. Murder, no. Yeah, exactly. I'll take it. Um, Murder, yes. I'll take it. Yeah. So my sister bought this house, and it turns out that the the former owner actually killed his daughter there. Oh, boy. Yeah. And I didn't really know. I didn't know this when I had first visited the home a few times. Um, but I always thought the house was very peculiar because the, the carpet... In most of the rooms was missing, and the um, the floorboards basically just the plywood flooring, the subfloor. Uh, normally, you you would when you nail down a subfloor, you would try to nail it in an organized manner that shows like these are where the studs run. So we're going to nail there. Mm-hmm. This kind of looked like someone had just taken as many nails as they could and thrown them out, and just randomly put as many nails on the floor they, as they could to keep. To, to me, it almost looked like I'm trying to keep whatever it is in the floor. Okay, that was the first weird thing. The second weird thing is when I found out about the murder, um, and I always had like a weird feeling, but there was the way the house was designed, there was only one restroom, and it was down this hallway that passed through that room where the girl was killed, and it was, I'd say, a good 10 or 15 feet away from that. To be honest with you, and even to this day, if I were to visit that house, I would not want to look in the mirror when I was in the restroom. Whoa. I feared looking in the mirror. Even washing my hands or doing whatever, I would never look in the mirror. I don't know why, I just never would. And my wife can attest to this, that there was always this eerie, cold feeling of, of just dread when you would go down the hallway into that room. 
Um, so then, to kind of even make that m more interesting, uh, my sister had uh, a son while she lived there. And I'm probably telling this wrong because I, my wife always corrects me. There's no wrong way to tell a ghost story. Well, unless you don't actually put a ghost in it. And then it's just a story. Well, here, here's the ghost. So um, my, my sister had her son, and I forget what's happening. I think she's cooking in the kitchen or something. And she says, or the, or the son comes up and says, hey, can I play with the little girl? And she says, what little girl? And he says, the one that comes to the foot of the bed at night. And I was like, are you freaking kidding me? Like, that's really, that happens. That's, so that's, that's my ghost story for you. That's the scariest story we've had on the show so far, <laughs> by far. And I don't know if you can, I'll try to find it. I don't know if you can find it. Somebody should find it. Uh, that news story, so you could, like, reference that maybe in... Which one? The, the, yeah, the house, yeah. The house? Great. Because yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was on can, local news, If you can sure. find it, send it to me. I'll put a link up yeah. in the show notes or on our Facebook page. So there you go. Oh, brother. Well, Tyson, we know you got T-shirts to sell. I do, yeah. Um, where can people find your work? How can people pick up your stuff? How can I get one of these sold-out Mothman patches? Well, you can find us. Right now, we actually, we're revamping our website. It's MaidenVoyageClothing.com. You can find us on Etsy. It's Maiden Voyage Co. Same for Instagram, at Maiden Voyage Co. Uh, find us. We'll be there. Great. So awesome. thank you, guys. Appreciate it so much. And uh, get back to work out there. You got it. All right. At ease, soldier. <laughs> thank you, man. So I'm here with Kate, and we're standing amongst 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 a crowd of people. That's that's proper grammar, right, Kate? Yeah, that is. So, Kate, uh, what brings you out to the uh, air raid tonight? Um, it's an event that I've come to every year for the past five years. We are talking to the right person. Yes, you are. Okay, so why do you come here? What what brings you here? Well, for one, I do World War II reenacting, so all of my friends are always here. What 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 constitutes a World War II reenactment? So that's you know in the South Arena Civil War reenacting, mm -hmm. and it's everything. It's the same, but it's World War II, so it's funner. There's bigger guns, better guns. Right? Are you flying any bombers or no? But we have people who tanks? like to pretend that they do. Right? Right? Yeah. Okay. And you, I, I have to mention for, because this is a podcast, people can't see. You are dressed in period costume. Yes. And uh, have you always been fascinated with the 1940s? I have, actually. Oh, now, who's yeah, this guy? Wait a minute. He's an asshole. <laughs> you want this back? She stole somebody's pipe. <laughs> I did. You got to, look. It you, was empty. What the hell? You're, you're, uh, you would not make a great props master on a television set. No, I would not. No, uh, would so not. you've been obsessed with the 1940s your whole yes. life. Yes. Uh, my grandfather was in World War II, and it was just something that I As grew up learning mine. about. Yes. yes. Uh, which theater was he in? The Pacific, uh, he or was, was in he Germany. in Germany? So yep. it was mine. In my head. Um, my great grandfather was in a B twenty four Liberator, oh, wow. and he actually bailed out over Germany 
and landed just on the American side. Wow. Yeah. Did he ever get to punch Hitler in the face? He did not, unfortunately, uh, but we, we all wish say we could. He did, yeah. yeah. Give him a good one right in the jaw. <laughs> yeah, now, seriously. Now, uh, there's another, so tonight, uh, this is commemorating the 75th anniversary <laughs> of the battle over L.A. Yes. What do you know about this battle? Not much, unfortunately. Really? No, I well, don't. Okay, so basically the gist of the story was all these uh, anti- uh, aircraft artillery mm-hmm. guns started firing at something that they thought was flying over Los Angeles. They mm-hmm. thought maybe it was a Japanese ship because yeah. there had been a submarine attack yeah. uh, off the coast of Santa Barbara mm-hmm. just a few weeks before. I'm sorry. Just like I said, I have been drinking way too much. No, you're great. <laughs> now, now that you have said this, it all makes sense. Right. Okay. But <laughs> some people think... Mm-hmm. That there was actually a flying saucer flying over Los Angeles that night, and that's what they were firing at. Are you guys a conspiracy? At. No, I'm not. Okay, because I love conspiracy podcasts. We I are a conspiracy. Well, we're not a conspiracy <laughs> podcast, but we are a paranormal podcast. So I, this I lo- is why I love we're you here. All already. Great. <laughs> so we haven't found anybody here who believes that there might have been a giant flying saucer that uh, the Army was firing and the Navy were firing at that night. Well, honestly, the universe is too large in order to discount that. Yeah, well, take a look at this. For example, I have a shirt here mm-hmm. that I picked up from our friends at Maiden Voyage Clothing Company. Mm-hmm. And check out, check this out. See? Yes. Look, what do you think? It's a giant light. It does look like a flying saucer. It really does. Yeah. So do you think it's possible that maybe in Los Angeles, mm-hmm. 75 years ago tonight, some type of alien craft was, fl- was flying over? And uh, You know what? I would say that there are crazier things. I agree. <laughs> yes. Much crazier things. Yes. Like coming to a place where people are dressed in cosplay and nobody wants to talk to me. <laughs> that is insane, and I'm so sorry. It's okay. Honestly, vintage people are assholes. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Well, so Coming far. From the biggest one himself. <laughs> All right, uh, Kate. Thank you so much for talking no to problem. us. You have a great night. Yeah, thank this you. guy's next. Yeah, All no right, problem. thank you so much. No All right, uh, I'm sitting here now. Are you Kate's gentleman's compa- gentleman companion? Hell no. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> What's your name? My name is Joe Draper. How's it going? Your name's Joe Draper. Yes. Nice to meet you, Joe Draper. Now, what are you dressed as? So right now I'm currently dressed in the uni- or Class A uniform for 101st Airborne, 501st Regiment, Recon Battalion. Oh, nice. Um, the 501st, that's yeah. uh, Darth Vader's personal Stormtrooper uh, you, Battalion. You know, yeah. uh, but we did it better. Yeah, gotcha. Uh, unlike Stormtroopers, we're actually able to hit shit. Oh, I like it. Okay, nice. Uh, Zap. It's all working out so far. So hey, what, do you do? What, what brought you here tonight? Uh, just like Kate, I am a uh, reenactor and living historian. Uh, she's over there making noise. I heard her. Um, let, leave it to her. That is quite a laugh. You know, uh, you can't mistake it. Hey, Kate, I'm talking crap about you while you're gone. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's great. And we do have an explicit warning on this podcast, so don't worry about Fantastic, it. Fantastic. Awesome. Um, so, yes, I do. What are the reenactments you do? And I d- uh, so, so far, I have to say, no. and this is no judgment on your performance, but is this a reenactment of just like a party where a bunch of guys got together, drank beer, and smoked cigarettes and stogies? 
because I don't see you holding a gun. I don't see you running towards any threats. Seems like you guys are just having a good time. So tonight's uh, event is more of a lively event. It's more yes. of a uh, big gathering for those who aren't exactly reenactors but love the time period. Right. And for reenactors who to would get like, together. Yeah, would like to have a great time uh, just mingling with their friends. Because when we do go out and do living history, it is kind of time consuming. It is kind of a lot of effort that we have to put towards. So what, to that. Uh, what other reenactments have you done? Um, so besides World War II reenacting, if we're just talking my living history career, uh, I also am an American Civil War reenactor with the 69th Irish Brigade. Oh, wow. And I have gone back to Gettysburg for the 150th. Mm -hmm. Um but other than those two periods of time, I haven't really done anything else. And which side do you fight on? Uh, the If we're talking Civil War, it's the uh, Union, which is Thank God. North. Thank God. <laughs> A little sigh of relief there. And just busting your balls. I would expect nothing less. Now, uh, when it comes to, did you know the story of the Battle of L.A.? Did you know that there's a big theory that the... That the, there was a flying saucer, some type of mothership flying over? So, I'm not a big follower on... Uh, of the paranormal? I wouldn't say that, but um, more the unknown of outer space, if right. you will. Right, Um The extraterrestrial. There we go. That's a, one way of putting it. Um, I have heard multiple stories. My common or my belief of what were to happen here 70 years ago 70 plus years ago today would be more along the lines of a japanese weather not weaponized balloon okay which they found evidence of in 1944 okay had been launched against the united now i'm not again my uh area of expertise when it comes to this is as an infantryman with the 101st airborne but from my basic understanding of how flak works, it's actually very difficult to shoot down a balloon. Oh, really? Uh, just like during the First World War, is difficult to shoot down zeppelins, which right. are similar technology. So we're talking about when we talk about balloon, yeah. we're talking about a giant blimp we're, or zeppelin style. We're object. not talking so much uh, a zeppelin or a blimp or something like that, but it is a decent sized balloon to make it from Japan to the United right. States. Um, and they're high altitude, so mm -hmm. depending on all sorts of different factors that could go into reports of, you know, anti-aircraft fire make, looking like it made contact when it actually didn't. Wow. Okay. And then. So you, you it's not add, a force field. Because in my yeah. mind, it's a force field. And uh, the shells are just bouncing <laughs> off the force field. Because, let's well, be honest, hold, hold that's on. pretty cool. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump the gun on you. Noah, Star Destroyer, did not enter Earth's atmosphere. I'm not <laughs> saying it was part of the Imperial fleet. That's what I heard. <laughs> Similar technology. And on that note, we'll wrap it up. All right, thanks, Joe. Appreciate it.
Awesome. All right. There you yeah. go. That was our trip. Hope you enjoyed <laughs> it. Cool. I want to thank Tyson again for talking to us. No was, doubt about it. He was busy selling T-shirts. We roped him away. I just saw his new Yeti patch. It looks so oh, sick. Oh, dude. It's his awesome. Are oh, amazing. also, his <laughs> wife is lovely, too. They're just cool. Yeah, they're cool awesome. People. I, I mean... I, that shirt's rad. Um, you can go check it out. It's on Instagram right now. I'll cool. Well, I got a little collector's item here for you, and this is in a... Uh, I found this in a magazine. Now, Mike, who gave you this magazine? Well, Michael brought this over when I broke my little footsie. And what's the name of the magazine? This is the magazine called uh, The Ultimate Guide to UFOs and Aliens. And, and upon uh, appearance, I thought this could be a little cheesy. No, this is... And- it's. I got this at like a Barnes and Noble off the newsstand, Dude, and this, it's got awesome stories. There is in some it. incredible I, stuff I, in here. I remember I had like a day or two before I could come over. I read through most of it. <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm glad I can't. Well, go. there's a few things that caught my attention, and and one of them was uh, was of the famous Beatle John Lennon. I, I you know I knew he had had an experience before, but this one I thought he was a roly poly. I, I thought I had uh, some experiences before, but this one blew my mind. Um, so this one is crazy. Lennon reportedly had a close encounter of the third kind in early 1975, shortly after he and Ono reunited. Illusionist and psychic Yuri Geller said the, mu- the musician told him how Lennon awoke one night to discover a bright white light shining under the couple's bedroom doorway and through the keyhole. Lennon opened the door to find gray aliens scuttling at me like cockroaches. He tried to push them away but they pressed him back into the room with what he described as a telepathic force. Did you say gray aliens? Uh, yeah. Alien grays? Yes, to find gray aliens Ooh, scuttering at me like roaches. Um, the next thing he knew, he was lying in bed with a metallic gold alien egg in his palm. Yoko, I think I laid, I, I laid an egg. I've got an egg in me I've got an egg, oh no. It's gold. Lenin gave the object to Geller saying, keep it. It's too weird for me. If it's my ticket to another planet, I don't want to go there. <laughs> Give it to Ringo. Wait, what the want it? <laughs> Is there a photograph of this egg? No, but I mean, immediately my mind starts going, I got to get a hold of Yuri Geller Seriously? and see if he still has this gold egg. That I, I've never heard this story and that just stands out as one physical evidence given to someone else i guarantee you yoko ono laid that egg <laughs> <laughs> but how wild is that i mean my god that's so strange yeah um yeah they took a lot of acid I'm yeah just, I'm just throwing that out Let's there just, re- just but who's lot. to say that the acid didn't open them up now we're not in, hey we're not endorsing on, acid yeah <laughs> But if you're going to do it, LSD, talk but to What aliens. if it opens some gateways? <laughs> yeah. Some but I psychic mean, gateways. if you're going to visit someone who had an immense impact on uh, society, I mean, you know, Lenin was the guy. I mean, and that was his second his second UFO encounter. The first one was a, a, a close encounter of, I believe, the second kind. This one was a, uh, a close encounter of the third kind. Second so. kind is <laughs> Seeing when it. it affects the physical your physical world in some way, like having a scar. Yeah, or, I, or no, a scar is uh, is more of third. Is that yeah, fourth? that's like fourth. fourth uh, yeah, I, I, I got to go over the, the there's I, there's five different kinds. The first I, the close encounter of the first kind is just sort of seeing something. The second is. Um, uh, Here we go. I'm well, going to look it up right now. Look it now. up, yeah. But, Let's not uh, spread misinformation. I know, God, and you think You know, it's like... funny. I got a laptop and Google <laughs> right in front of me. Maybe it was some sort of like intergalactic Grammy or something. You know? <laughs> that, yeah. that would be amazing. We love <laughs> Sergeant Pepper. <laughs> I don't accept this award. <laughs> we are Team John. We don't like Paul. Right, right. He's got too much of an ego. 
Yeah, but uh, yeah, I thought that was interesting. That's an uh, unbelievable. So, that's so wild. I thought the, the actual that. physical object. That, that's yeah, just like I had never heard anything like that before. Uh, so thanks for that. Magazine, okay, here Michael, we go. That, uh, oh, oh, you're welcome. Uh, okay, so the Close Encounter. This is from Wikipedia. Great, <laughs> the laziest googling job ever. <laughs> Close Encounters of the First Kind equals visual sightings of an unidentified flying object, seemingly less than 500 feet away, that show an appreciable angular extension and considerable detail. So that sounds like the Battle of of LA um, was a close encounter of the first kind. Mm-hmm. Close encounters of the second kind, a UFO event in which a physical effect is alleged. So maybe, so maybe I was right. Uh, depression this can be, on the sand, or yeah, like, the know. interference of functioning of a vehicle or sure. electronic device, animals reacting, a psychological effect such as paralysis or heat and discomfort in the witness, or some physical trace like impressions in the ground, scorch, or otherwise affected vegetation or a chemical trace. Um, so maybe the Battle of LA could fall into that Should as well. Check for me. Yeah, <laughs> close encounters of the third kind. Uh, UFO encounters in which an animated creature is present, mm. like Woody Woodpecker or or a white like these beings <laughs> that he said he saw. Yeah. These, yeah, these include humanoids, robots, and humans who seem to be occupants or pilots of a UFO. Yeah, and then I think uh, extensions of high. Those were J. Allen Hynek's definitions, and mm-hmm. then they got extended after his research. The fourth kind is abduction. Is abduction. Right? Yeah. Uh, fifth kind is a UFO event that involves direct communication between aliens and humans. Mm. This type of close encounter was named by Stephen M. Greer's CSE, or C. SETI group right. and is described as bilateral contra- contact between uh, uh, experiences through conscious, voluntary, and proactive human-initiated cooperative communication with extraterrestrial intelligence. Guys, I think you need to uh, dumb this down a little. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, this gets a little wild. This is sort of like the sequels when the franchise went on a little too mm-hmm. long. Encounters of the sixth kind, death of a human or animal associated associated with the UFO sighting, although some might consider this as more of a severe example of the second kind of encounter, so cattle mutilation, I would agree. Close encounters of the seventh kind, the creation of a human-alien hybrid, either by sexual reproduction or by artificial scientific methods. Wow. All right. Which is not uncommon. Yeah, no. (laughs) Um, Okay. Unfortunately. Wait a minute, what? (laughs) (laughs) Just gloss right over that. I know. I was like, yeah. (laughs) Yep, checks out. Okay. Checks out. Yeah, that's good. Well, on that note, everybody, um, thank you so much for tuning in to this first ever BCC special. Like I said, future specials will be available on the other side of the Patreon wall. And we would really appreciate it when we launch at the end of March if you guys could could, uh, kick in a little, kick in a little. But listen, if you don't want to, you're still going to get your show every Wednesday. The regular feeds is going to be free. Uh, but you're just going to get a lot more bonus content. Totally. This is just a great opportunity for Riley, Michael, and I to get together. Yeah, and, and, uh, because our regular yeah. show, exactly, <laughs> our regular show, we have guests and everything, and we're realizing, uh, Ugh, you, may have, celebrity you may have noticed that the three of us are really hitting it off. <laughs> uh, and sometimes we just want to have a little little, uh, little boy time. Yeah, yeah. Little boy true. time together. And we uh, get a little special time with the audience, yeah, too. You know? It's a little something yeah, exactly. for us to interact this with you guys. Like, and laid back you know it's like you're in the studio with us it's that's right 
Cool. Well, thank you so much for listening. Uh, we will be back Wednesday with another regular episode. Uh, in the meantime, uh, I want to thank producer Riley Bray, my co-host Bryce. Peace and love. A peace and love. Peace and love. I don't want that egg. <laughs> and then uh, I want to thank Sun Eaters for our music from the song Come Alone. This is BCC special, and we'll be seeing you very soon. Nice. That is a good one. That's a clavinade. Hey, this is Eric Malinsky, host of the podcast Imaginary Worlds. Each episode, I explore different sci-fi fantasy genres, talking with filmmakers, novelists, game designers, cosplayers, comic book artists, and anyone who works in the field of make-believe. I also look at the fan experience, asking, why do we suspend our disbelief? You can subscribe to Imaginary Worlds wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, Heather Ashley here, host of the Big Mad True Crime Podcast. If you're looking for a true crime podcast with all of the details and none of the small talk, you have found your people. Each week, we dive deep into a new case and learn everything there is to know, from getting to know the victim and the impact their cases had on those around them, to the investigation into what happened to them and who is or might be responsible. And if the bad guy looks like he might drink whiskey by a dumpster or has the social skills of an ogre, we say it because we were all thinking it anyway. As the name suggests, we get big mad over true crime, and I would love to have you join our incredible community of listeners with big hearts and zero time for small talk. Subscribe to Big Mad True Crime anywhere you listen to podcasts and listen to new episodes every single Monday.